It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. My guest is Mike Reno, lead singer of Loverboy. The group will be performing at the Orleans Showroom this Saturday, February 29th at 8 p.m. For ticket information, go to orleanscasino.com. And for everything about Loverboy, go to loverboyband.com and follow them on Twitter at Loverboyband. And Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ira. Nice to be with you. Pleasure. So you guys have been busy over the last several decades, haven't you? <laughs> about 40 years I, keep, it's hard to I woke up the other day and I went I'm in the same band for 40 years crazy. <laughs> it is amazing isn't it I marvel at there are certain groups that just sustain all and prosper all the way through the decades and are other groups that form and within a year the lead singer falls out with the drummer and they're never heard from again so what, right. I've, I've heard about bands like that, but we're definitely not one of them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think in the early stages, you were with a couple of bands like Morning Glory, where maybe perhaps that happened. Who knows? But Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Those are, that's going way back when I was a teenager. Though, I right. True. It, that's fair. Youth has, a, has that opportunity to make mistakes and, and move on, as they say. So when you decided to form the group Lover, but how did the name come about? You probably have been asked this a hundred times, but I'll ask it. Why not? How did the name come about? Well, Paul and I were sitting around one night walking, watching movies with their girlfriends, and uh, we noticed the girlfriends were having a pretty good time reading Cosmopolitan and Vogue and all those magazines. And um, I think I looked at Paul and I said, how about instead of Cover Girl, we call ourselves Cover Boy, and we dress up a little nicer than the average guys, you know, maybe spend a little money on in the clothing department. Anyways, next morning, Paul calls me and says, what if we called ourselves Loverboy? And I said, Paul, uh, we're liable to get in big trouble if we do that, but who knows? Let's give it a try. And <laughs> it stuck, and it hasn't been a negative ad, 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 ever. It's been a positive the whole way. No, that's amazing. Did he ever tell you how he came up with that version of it as opposed to Coverboy, Loverboy? He dreamt about it, he said. And you believed him? I believed him. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about Paul Dean, who you're a partner in arms over the decades. When you look at that relationship, tell us about it a little bit, how, how the two of you get along or don't get along, but maybe you don't get along, but you do on stage, or maybe you get along both on and off stage. How does that work, that dynamic? Well, after all these years, we're pretty good friends. Um, that's kind of what we did at the beginning. We, Paul and I decided to take our time picking all the musicians that we wanted in the band. And uh, it was a good thing we did because we're still together after all these years. We have a, a bond. And I think it's kind of a responsibility to the songs. I mean, these songs are very important to a lot of people and to us as well. So we have a respect and a responsibility to perform these songs and carry them through kind of like a torch. I like that. Well, is there any major difference between recording in the studio let's say, working for the weekend and then performing it live. Are there any adjustments needed because of the, the technical aspects of it? Not so much technical, but the high-energy stuff. Um, I, I, me and the band all prefer to play live. It's uh, the energy we get off the crowd. is just uh, irreplaceable. We have uh, 
you know, we have a full audience looking at us. We break into these songs and they go crazy and we just feel good. It's a good, it's a good all around feeling. When you go into the studio and you, you were recording and, and some of your hits, when you're in there and recording, do you know they're going to be hits or do you just take a chance and you, you don't know? Another, I guess what I'm asking in my own convoluted way is, are you sure about a song when you go into the recording studio? Well, you know what's funny about songs? Yeah, uh, most of the time we just think they're all going to be great. You know, some make it and some rise to the top and some just kind of fade away. But Turn Me Loose, I knew was going to be a big hit. Uh, working for the weekend, I knew it was going to be a big hit. The Kid Is Hot Tonight, I knew it was going to be a big hit. It was just some things. You're loving every minute of it. I knew it was going to be a big hit. There's just certain songs that just grab you and don't let go. So when these came out, and I assume at some point you heard them on the radio, and it's always that concept of a recording artist gets a hit and they hear it for the first time while they're driving down the street or they're in a car somewhere. How did that work for you when you started to hear your hits on the radio? Oh, I freaked out. Are you kidding me? I just went crazy. I think the first time I heard the song was when it was coming out of somebody else's car as I was walking down the street. <laughs> and I just went, are you kidding me? And that's kind of when I knew, you know, this is going to be pretty cool what's happening to us. And um, it happened right off the bat. The first song uh, that was The Kid Is Hot Tonight, and it just sounded great on the radio. And you know what? I listened to it the other day uh, by accident. I was it was playing at a radio station where I was, and it sounded great still. So it's just great. It's, it's withstood the test of time, that's for sure. Is there any disconnect when you go, like, you mentioned the radio station where they were playing it, you probably will walk into an office and they're playing music and one of your songs comes on. Is there a disconnect? Are you taking a step back and saying, I really enjoy that song? Oh, wait, that's us. Or <laughs> how does that work exactly? Or, or or do you get a sense of immortality when you realize that it's it's a, apart from you now, it's into the cosmos, so to speak. It's into society. And well, it is. On. It's a piece of people's DNA that you know, people grew up with. I uh, I run into people all the time, and they go, "Man, you were part of my you were part of my my youth. Uh, you're part of my my whole being." You know, and they just tell me these stories, and I just I feel so I feel wonderful that I can be a part of it. You know, and it's it just never gets uh, never gets old. But when the group is recording, do you have those thoughts when you're recording that you're going to end up being in someone's DNA, or do you just record it because you know it's going to be a good song? Well, you know, when we're recording, we get into the groove, we get into uh, you know, timing of the whole thing. We, we're, you know, paying attention to what everybody else is doing. So you don't have much time to think about those things. Those kind of things come after, after the fact that you've been playing them for 10 years or 20 years or whatever. And then all of a sudden people are going, this, you know, this is, this is one of the songs I grew up with. When they tell you that, you just can't help but just go, wow. When you're up on stage, Mike, are you, because you know the song so well, are you ever on autopilot, not auto-tune, that's a whole other category, but autopilot, <laughs> are you ever, do you ever catch yourself going on autopilot or are you so much in the now and the rest of the guys so much in the now because you're in front of a live audience? Well, you know what? Some of the songs, uh, we got these long intros, Turn Me Loose, a big long intro. I got a lot of time to get ready for this song. First starts with the, the cymbals and the keyboards. Boom, bass comes in. Guitar comes in. By this time, I'm so amped up, I just walk out on stage and I just kill it. And that's just kind of the way it is with that one. Working for the weekend, big deal. Starts with the cowbell. You can't help but just fall right into it. It's kind of the song everybody plays at Friday at 5 o'clock because they just want to kick ass. <laughs> <laughs> 
there's something about your voice that even when you're when we're talking now that there's an element of fun built into your voice. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but you you, you communicate that you're always having fun. Well, it is a fun business to be in. I tell people, you know, I may be getting older, but I'm in a rock band, so I just feel great about it. Well, of course, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. But did you ever get, some rock bands do get, uh, I'll use the term jaded, I guess, over time, and they feel whatever they feel, but it seems that you and the guys more, they just, you just, as you say, you're in a rock band, you're enjoying it. It doesn't matter how old you are, you just, you're out there. It just keeps getting better, like every time. Um, every time I hit the stage, it's just, you know what it is? It's a, a, it's a comfortable place for me. Um, the rest of the day, you know, you're traveling, you're going through airports, you're, you're checking into hotels, you're getting your, lu- your luggage, you're hanging up your clothes, and that's all just stuff. But when you hit the stage, man, that's where the magic happens. And I've heard that from so many of my guests, including comedians, who bemoan the fact that they don't even have instruments to worry about. They're just traveling from one gig to another, but it's the same thing. It's the travel, the checking in, all of that, and they enjoy that one hour that they're on stage. The rest of the time, it's just work or business, I guess, in that sense. I always tell people I do the concert for nothing. It's traveling <laughs> you pay me for. <laughs> it's the truth. It, it is. Do you find that, I, and not to compare it too much, but when you guys first started out, and compared to now with the traveling, and not just the fact that the years have gone by, but really more that travel tends to be a little bit more of a hassle or more of a hassle than it used to be in the early days of traveling. How, do, how, does, that, uh, how does that come across to you guys? Well, compared to the early days when we were in a, a couple of cars trying to get some sleep in the back seat and uh, going from gig to gig, compared to then, uh, I can't complain. Now we, we get to fly, you know, we get to stay in hotels. When we first started out, boy, it was rough. We had to go from gig to gig. A lot of times we didn't get any sleep at all. And we wanted to do it because we were just dedicated to it. We were on tour, show after show. And when we weren't on stage, we were in radio stations or record stores, doing in-stores or interviews. We were on television stores. I mean, nowadays, we can sit and relax a little bit. We paid our dues. We don't have people breathing down our necks. We really enjoy ourselves. We're actually enjoying ourselves more now than I think we ever did. Well, plus, too, you're also still out there, not just performing, but you're doing interviews such as this show as well. So you're still, you still have that energy and that commitment to doing it. Well, it's kind of fun. People want to talk about it. I'll, I'd be willing to talk about it. It's a pretty cool thing to do for, uh, you know, for a job, being a rock and roll guy. <laughs> are, is everybody based in the same city, or are you guys separated out into different areas, and then you just meet at the middle? Well, we used to be uh, in the, out of the same area, but now everybody's kind of drifted around different parts of the world. So we end up meeting somewhere halfway and then uh, hang together for the tour and then take a few days off. Everybody goes their separate ways. But, you know, I think we're together more than we're apart. So it just it's a tight group that obviously stays together. And you're obviously in communication as well with everybody during the times that you're not traveling. Absolutely. You know, for us, it's such a tight-knit thing. It's kind of like... Of being part of the Super Bowl team, you know. I mean, we're we're really that way. It's like being in a, on a on a on a team of some sort of sports team. We uh, we uh, we get out there, we put the effort in, but we also do things together. We travel together, we hang out together. We will go to birthday parties together. We've been around a long time. We're very good friends. It's a team. It's a team effort, and we're actually uh, tighter now than we've ever been. And do you get the universal commitment by everybody in the a band and. 
you're obviously vocals. Paul Dean is guitars. You've got Matt, correct, on drums? Right. Uh, Doug Johnson on keyboards and Ken on bass. Right. Okay, good. I just want to make sure we got everybody mentioned. It's only fair since they're traveling as well as you're traveling. So absolutely, they've got the <laughs> yeah, they've got the commitment too. Do you have a commitment from them to keep the band going? You know what, Paul and I decided at the beginning of the whole thing is to split everything equally. Everybody's got a stake in the game. You know, we wanted we didn't want people going. Well, you make you make all the money, and we're just doing all the work. You know, we didn't want any of that kind of complaints. So early on in life, I don't know why why we thought of this, but. I guess it comes from the inequality of other bands I've been in. And I just didn't think it was fair. And everybody's got a stake in the game. Everybody works as hard as the next guy. It's kind of like the, uh, you know, the weakest link of a chain. We don't have a weak link because everybody's in, in it for the same. So you were pretty insightful in the early days to be able to work that out where everybody has an equal stake. I never, I don't know where we got that from, but I remember talking to Paul about it. And I said, I think this is the way to go. And it's worked out great for Loverboy. Oh, there's no doubt about it. Everybody's enthusiastic. Everybody has an equal stake. So everybody shares in the profits and also the pain of traveling. You share <laughs> so. in the, the pleasure and the pain. You're exactly right. <laughs> well, let's take a break. My guest, Mike Reno, is lead singer of Loverboy. The group will be performing at the Orleans Showroom this Saturday, February 29th at 8 p.m. For taking information, go to Orleans Casino. Dot com and for everything about Loverboy, go to loverboyband.com and you can follow them on Twitter at loverboyband. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more talk about Las Vegas with Ira in just a moment. There's something new at the Neon Museum. The emerging technology of light mapping brings old signs back to life. Forgotten artifacts of our past that once blazed in the Las Vegas night are reanimated in a dazzling immersion of sight and sound. You've never seen anything like it because there's never been anything like it. Brilliant, a Neon Museum experience. Performances nightly. Join the experience now at neonmuseum.org. Now let's get back to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Welcome back. I'm talking with the one and only Mike Reno, lead singer of Loverboy. The group will be performing at the Orleans Showroom this Saturday, February 29th at 8 p.m. For taking information, go to orleanscasino.com. And for everything about Loverboy, go to loverboyband.com. And you can follow them on Twitter at loverboyband and on Facebook and all the other social channels that are out there because Loverboy prospers and loves. How's that for a slogan? That's beautiful. I love it, Ira. Right. We can get you to do our campaign for us. Excellent. All right. <laughs> <laughs> when you started out, there's there's this story that, because you guys are from Canada, or you are from Canada specifically. And yeah, we all are, actually. Yeah, yeah, you are. So when you started out and you became popular in Canada, and then you make this deal with Columbia Records here in the United States. And there's a story, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that you were doing so well with the, your performances and everything, but the record company at that time wasn't stocking the shelves with your material. Well, you know what? In, in all honesty, we caught uh, CBS Records with their pants down. They weren't quite ready for the success that we had. And a lot of it really wasn't really even their fault, except, you know, they should have been printing records and, and, and following us around from tour to tour. We were lucky enough right off the bat to get a tour with uh, the rock group Kansas. Right. And everywhere we went, the people were digging the stuff, and the radio stations were were playing the stuff. 
And we soon found out that people couldn't get the records in the stores. So we kind of wondered what, what was going on there. So we had to ask a few questions. And I think it basically came out in a, a Rolling Stone interview that I did. And I got heck for doing it, too. But um, I had to say, you know, we're playing all these cities. Why don't you have records in the stores? And I guess after a while, they kind of started listening to us. And then the rest is history. Well, it seems that you guys were more logical than the record company at that point. Well, you know what it is? Record companies had a lot of bands going, and they had a lot of things to do. And we kind of snuck in. We snuck in under the radar. And that's really what happened with Loverboy. That's funny. And also, too, I if I remember, you were interviewed for Rolling Stone, and part of that interview was supposed to be off the record, and yet that, that's what they ran with. But as you say, it turned out pretty well because the record company said, oh, wait a minute, these guys are making sense. Yeah, but not without getting in a little trouble. I remember getting a call from the president of the record company, CBS. And they said, uh, you know, Columbia's a big company. You should be a team player. And I said, you know what? You're right. And I guess it should go both ways, though, don't you think, sir? Don't you think you should be a team player, too? And it turned out, you know, I, I just said what I had to say, and he said what he had to say, and we both kind of met in the middle. We both learned something there. They put more records in the stores. We sold lots of records. We kept touring. Everybody was happy. But it was a learning curve for sure. Going back to the beginning in terms of Canada, was there an inspiration when you started to get into rock and roll as opposed to any other kind of music? In other words, what brought you to rock and roll? Oh, you're kidding me. It was like Deep Purple and 10 Years After and Led Zeppelin. And I just jumped right in. Right off the bat, I was loving all those bands. Um, yeah, I, I maybe it was uh, maybe he was watching the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. You know, I don't know. <laughs> that could so be something too. kicked it off, and I got the bug <laughs> really early. I used to I started off as a drummer when I was eleven years old, and I just kept at it and started singing. I guess they said you we'd rather have you stand up in front and do the singing than sit behind the drums where nobody can see you behind the cymbals. <laughs> so I kind of I lost my gig gig as a drummer, and I became the the front man. No turning back now. No, no, no. At this point, I, I think you made the right decision. It would seem. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, when you finally, uh, what, what surprised me, what you just said was that I guess you could watch the Ed Sullivan show in Canada. Yeah, we could do a lot of things in Canada. People just, you know, I grew up like twenty miles from the border. We had everything. You know, we had all the TV channels. We had pretty much everything everybody else had. Um, and it's, you know, really not that far away. It's just right there. So we had a, you know, we had all the shows everybody else was watching. It was just one big happy family. Oh, that's great. When you finally got the band going, did you have a sense or did the guys have a sense, including Paul? And I should ask you about where you met Paul, and I will in a moment. But did you have a sense that you guys would be successful and that it would be an enduring success? Well... Paul had been through a bunch of bands, and I'd been through a bunch of bands. And a lot of the reason I even continued on with Paul is because we both had the same uh, outlook on what we wanted to do in the future. We were kind of tired of talking to managers that didn't really know what they were doing. We were kind of tired of, of talking with record companies that didn't really offer much. So we kind of had a feeling that if we can make this better, if we can work with the right people this time, Maybe we can make it work because, to be honest with you, music business is hard enough as it is without having, you know, rotten people surround around you. So we were really looking for the right people to work with. We took our time. 
and we ended up finding all the right people and with a little bit of luck thrown in, maybe a lot of luck, you know, we kind of stood out in the crowd. Yeah, that planning part was the important part, it seems, for you in the group because you took your time, as you say, and as a result, you had personnel and partners that were compatible and were good for the long term. Taking our time was a big deal. You know, it was a big, good decision to make. Uh, taking our time to find the right people to work with us, the right record company, the whole nine yards. It was, and you know, I think back, it's a long time ago, but I was so clear. It was, I was so clear that I didn't want to be working with just average people anymore. So taking our time to find all the best musicians that we could hang out with and we knew we'd, we'd stick around and, you know, work with for a long time. Hey, listen, I, I didn't think it would be 40 years, but I'm glad it was. <laughs> no, and you're still going strong. As you tour the country, you come into Las Vegas. What's your take on Las Vegas as a performer and then just sort of hanging out here? Well, Las Vegas is the best, funnest town in the world, my friend. I've never been to a city that's more fun than Las Vegas, that's for sure. I love the fact that people come there to have a good time. And pretty much name of the game is you do have a good time. And uh, I've never had a bad time in Las Vegas. The rest of the group likes it as well, I assume. Absolutely. It's just, you know, fun capital of the world. Well, I am leading a campaign to have your last name changed to Las Vegas instead of Reno. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. I, I should have thought ahead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or maybe have both last names. That way, depending on where you appear, you, you use that name, which would actually be pretty good. So, I like it, Mike Reno, Las Vegas. Yeah, there you go. Make Reno the middle name and Las Vegas is your last name. Okay, I'll do it. All right, excellent. Another victory. That's, I, I'm, I'm writing down what you guys owe me for all these suggestions. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, we're indebted to you now, Ira. Yeah, thank you. Uh, the, when you, when you, you mentioned you and Paul are both veterans of that scene in Canada, and it's intriguing to me that there is that compatibility because I'm just thinking of the various groups, the musical groups that are well-known for over the last 40, 50 years, and how many, although some of the some of the band still has its original members, there's a palpable tension between some of them. They, they will get together on stage and do what they need to do, but off stage they lead separate lives. So uh, other than you guys, are there other bands that you can think of that have that kind of connection and relationship and, and just endure over all these years? Well, I could I could think of a few bands. Friend, our friends in ZZ Top, they're still good friends. Good they play together yeah. all the time. They've been together longer than we have. Uh, Cheap Trick are very much the same, other than Bunny Carlos, the drummer, who decided to retire. The three other members of the band are just super tight, good friends, do all kinds of things together. You know, there's a few of us out there. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think that's the way to go, just from a mental health point of view, let alone a financial point of view. Exactly. If I had to narrow you down to pick one of your hits, one of the group's hits that, that stands above all the other hits, is there one, or do you feel comfortable talking about it, or are there really, they're all, from your point of view, the same? Well, I think, undoubtedly, it could be a toss-up between Turn Me Loose and Working for the Weekend. Those two songs seem to be, um, I don't know, if I had to put something in a, a space capsule for people to discover years down the road, those two songs would be, would definitely be on the on the program. And we talked about immortality a little bit earlier. At least I mentioned it. You didn't. But still, the fact that we we're in a digital world now, it means your material and the band's material will be here for the 
unforeseeable future, let alone the foreseeable future. So there's that immortality aspect of it. So you have people that will be listening to your music forever. Does that ever enter your mind or you're just too busy doing what you do? Well, you know what? That's interesting. To, I never really think about it, but once in a while, especially if you bring it up or somebody brings it up, I think about it and it kind of gives me, it just makes me, you know, kind of, I shudder a little bit and I go, gee, please, is that really, is that really you know, what's going to happen? And I guess it is. You know what it is? It's a, like a timeless thing. It's going to go on forever. I'm sure it will be. And it's like a Beethoven thing. I mean, they're still there. I mean, he's gone. They're still there. It's music. It, it's something that we did. It's kind of like building a building in Manhattan, like the Chrysler building. I mean, it was built years and years ago, but it's still there. Still there. And it's, it's still making people happy. And I, I hope that's the way it is with Loverboy and their music. Yeah, I guess that's the point I was trying to get across is that you've produced something, and whether people like it or don't like it, it's going to be there, especially now with the digital world, it'll be there forever, and you're going to have ancestors listening to it, you're going to have people f discovering it at universities and analyzing, what was the meaning of working for the weekend in socio-political <laughs> terms, or whatever, who knows, I'm just speculating here, but it, that has always intrigued me with groups that have hits that have been around a while and realize now they can preserve it, it's not something, for example, if you go back to the 30s and 40s, a lot of the material that was recorded there, it can be preserved, but the original recording techniques were such that they were not the best quality, whereas it's almost a timeless quality when you guys record your material. Well, it seems like it's going to stick around for a while, and I'm pretty darn glad about that. I feel quite honored. And there's a bit of uh, respect that goes along with this. You know, we respect this music. We respect how we play it live. We respected it how we recorded it, and we're proud of it. No, that makes perfect sense. Are you you in the group working on new material uh, also along the way? In other words, I know you write, and you've also contributed to various film soundtracks. But do you are you writing material on a regular basis, or just when the the the, the thought strikes you? You know what we write all the time. What I'm noticing is, and, and this is kind of an interesting comment, but if I were to write the best song I've ever written in my whole life right now, I don't think it would ever see the light of day because the way that the business is right now, it seems like it would never hit the radio. Nobody would ever really hear about it. It's just one of those things. Is it? Yeah, you, you, you right. You recorded a time and place where it made sense. And now it, the te with technology and just the changes in society it would be tough to do. Exactly. And so we're kind of lucky about, about having what we have. We sold a lot of records when people were buying records which is very cool because it allowed us to continue on and keep doing what we're doing because it's, it's expensive to be in the recording studio. It's expensive to be on the road, traveling around with a group of guys, staying in hotels, flying airplanes. So it's nice to be able to say that you were there when, when, you, when people were buying records. I mean, I have some plaques that I, and, and gold and platinum records I just adore. I just can't get over it. I, I hardly can believe it, really. But um, I don't know if they still do that anymore. Yeah, and it's an interesting concept that with the expenses of traveling, perhaps maybe you, you and the guys can go back to catching some sleep in the back of the car instead of staying at hotels and flying. Yeah, 
I don't think I want to go back to yeah, that era. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's great. And yes, Platinum Records, I mean, you, you've, you've kind of done what you've done. And so you, you don't rest on your laurels or your hardies. You're still out there performing, which is the main thing. And so it's well, an interesting combination to me that you have both the recorded material and you are out there live performing as well. So I think people appreciate that we, we're still out there playing live. People come out to our concerts, and, you know, I haven't seen an empty seat in a long time. And people are really having fun, and we're really having fun with the people, which is a really nice two-way street. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Mike Reno, possibly Mike Las Vegas, lead singer of Loverboy. The group will be performing at the Orleans Showroom this Saturday, February 29th at 8 p.m. For ticket information, go to orleanscasino.com. And for everything about Loverboy, go to loverboyband.com. And you can follow them on Twitter at loverboyband. And, Mike, thanks for being on the show. Well done, Ira. That was great talking to you, man. Appreciate it. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Be my